Well, good morning. I'm Joel Wayne, and it's good to have you here at Chapel Point on Labor Day weekend. Um, how many of you yelled at about 3 a.m. this morning? Anybody? It woke me up. Things don't wake me up. And it was loud, and, uh, but I was grateful for the rain. I want to just go through a list of some difficulties that we may face in life. All right, and maybe you resonate with one of them. Maybe you can come up with your own list of difficulties that you've had in your life. Um, you think about uh, cancer, right? You think about death. Just this past week, Dennis Hill passed away, uh, a good friend of ours here at Chapel Point. And uh, we know that we can make a long list of those that we could probably announce every week, and we can't do that. But you just think about the, the newness of that and that family walking through it. You think about divorce. You can think about financial difficulty. You can think about the loss of a job. You can go to things like uh, just physical difficulty. It doesn't have to be cancer. Cancer, it can be anything. Um, just the brokenness of life. All types of things come to mind, right? And one of the things I appreciate so much about the Word of God, and even this series that we've been walking through on Psalms, um, and it's the last week that we're going to be looking at Psalms, by the way. Next week, we get to jump into the book of James. And I've already had some people ask, how long will you spend in James? Um, I will just tell you right now, I have no idea. Um, I, I think that uh, we'll, 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 we'll pause for Christmas and then just keep going. And maybe then pause again for Easter and then keep going. I don't know. We'll see. But as we're on this last week of talking about what it is to inhale, when you, when, what you inhale impacts your heart, what you exhale impacts other people, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from David. And today we're learning a lot from David because in Psalm 57, and I, I invite you to join there with me right now and just stay there the entire time. Psalm 57, it's only 11 verses. And if you don't have the Word of God with you, you can pick one up in, in, in one of the carts that's nearby. But in Psalm 57, we learn about David because this is when David has been on the run. He's hiding out in caves. All right, this is when King Saul, who has a tremendous, he, he's consumed by jealousy. And he wants to get rid of David, and David is coping with all of this for the, for the better part of a decade. So it's not like here's David and he's going, hey guys, I know what it is to have difficulty for the last uh, 36 hours. I've been having some hard times. He's been running for years. He's been struggling for years and, and now we find him riding in the midst of the cave, really. Because here, David, even though he will become king, at this point he's an outlaw. And we're reminded that King Saul has given his life very little value. But David knows that there's value according to God. And so he calls out a secret. And we're going to talk about that today. I think David is going to help us know, and this is the big question, how do we get out of a cave? And for you, that cave is that difficulty, that hardship that you're walking through in life. And it can be depression, it can be anxiety, it can be 
physical hurt. It can be loss of a loved one. It can be financial woes. It can be anything you desire for it to be, right? It, whatever is going on in your life right now. But David, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing because he's going to come in and he goes, this is how you can get out of a cave. This is how you can do it. And so this is where it begins. It says, to the choir master, according to do not destroy a victim of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, let me go ahead and say this very, very quickly. A, a mictum is a secret. That's why I'm saying it. So if you would just leave Scripture up there for a moment. But that's what it is. It, the meaning is it's something that's been hidden. It's something that's been covered. And so now he's going to reveal that to us. Something that's, that's not been shared. And he says, this is what it is. He says, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. And he jumps in and he calls out these words. The first three verses, just to begin. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah, which means, we know it means either a pause or a crescendo, right? And he calls out then, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Let's stop there. Because here's this victim, this, this secret of David, this thing that needs to be shared. And he says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in, your, in my soul, for you in my soul, it takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. David found refuge in God. In fact, it's one of the things that we learn. It's one of the primary things. If we want to know how to get out of a cave, we need to know when to take refuge in God. So the very first thing that you can feel in there is we need to know what it is to take refuge in God. We need to remember who He is. This morning in the middle of the night when the storm was hitting, um, I had a little kid, right, pull the covers down right beside me and crawl in. I said, what are you doing? Ted is loud. What are you doing? And he pushes me over and he got in. In the middle of the storm, he needed to do that. He needed to take refuge in his father. And we need to learn what it is to take refuge in our heavenly father in the middle of the storms. When not only you hear the thunder and, and the lightning is, is visible all around you, but even the rain is coming down so intensely that you can hear it, and, and life seems to be that way. And here's David, and he's calling, and he's like, I'm going to take refuge in God. To take refuge in God, it really means refuge, a shelter or protection from danger. That's the definition. A shelter or protection from danger. And so David is here, and he's hiding out in this cave in the Judean desert. So where he is. He's hiding out in a cave. 
physically. But he's also hiding out spiritually. Think about how much he's been beaten down. He's calling out for mercy. Twice in verse 1, David asked God for mercy. David knew that God was rich in mercy, and he's calling it out. He's saying, please. He just keeps calling out on God over and over and over and over again. There's only 11 verses in the psalm. 21 times he calls out to God by name. And 11 verses. He just keeps calling out to him, finding refuge in who he is over and over again. In this very first verse, he even says, Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. I love that imagery of the sh- in the shadow of your wings. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the most, most frequent use of the word wings is the golden cherubim that was on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. That was sitting on top of it. It was symbolic, right? The Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of God's presence. And I think it's one of the reasons David is using such wonderful poetry here and wonderful language is because another way that we can get out of the, the cave is we can sit in God's presence. That's another way that we can do it, is that we can sit in God's presence and we can rest in who He is. We can be confident in who God is and God being present with us. But really, even though He's here in the cave, I think the first several verses identifies and calls out the character of God. It talks about His love. Verse 3, look at this. It says, I cry out, yes, but He says, He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame who tramples on me. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. He's speaking about God's character of steadfast love, God's character of always being faithful no matter what. And so one of the things that we're figuring out about David is David is starting to figure out confidence. You know, you know a lot about confidence when things are difficult, not when things are good. And David's confidence was rooted, it was grounded in the character of God. And our confidence is to be grounded in the character of God. Right? That's something that we try to teach our children. We've got to be careful what we teach people to find their confidence in. I start thinking about that with all types of things. I think about that with music. I think about that with sports. I think you, you can just name it. We raise children. We, we, we say we want them to have, be confident, but they find their confidence in something that they won't do after the age of 15, most likely. And then I go, what are we doing? What are we doing? Because here, David is modeling, I think, what it is to all of a sudden, even though he's in the cave, he is finding his confidence in the character of God. One of the questions I think that the passage begs of us is, do we have a healthy confidence in God? Or do we have a healthy confidence in what we can do, and then God can come fix it when we screw it up? Because here's David going, you know what, I'm running for my life here. I'm in the cave. I'm in the Judean wilderness, the Judean desert, hiding out from the king. 
One of the ways that you know if you have a healthy confidence in who God is, is are you thanking him today for what he will do tomorrow? It's one of the ways you know. David knew the promises of God and he was determined to stand on them because his confidence was in who God was and not who he was. So another thing that we see here is David learned to declare the promises of God. He learned to declare the promises of God in the midst of hardship. He was declaring the promises of God, expecting God to be God. He says, my soul, verse 4 and 5, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all of the earth. And he just calls it out. David is speaking of his confidence in God while being in trouble. His enemies' mouths are accusing him of all types of things. And his enemy wants to destroy him. And he says, I'm in the midst of lions. It's pretty graphic, isn't it? I mean, how often do you just go, you know what? Right now in life, I feel as though I'm, I'm in the midst of lions. Things are so difficult. Things are so hard that everything around me wants to, to, to devour me. Think about who is writing this. David. And he knows what it is to write, fight off the lions and everything else when he was younger. And now he's describing that, using that same language of going, man, I'm having to fight this off. Everybody seems to be out to get me. And here he is in trouble. And I think the question is, how could he, how could he remain focused on God in the midst of so much danger around him? Right? A lot of times when we feel like that we're in the midst of the lions and they're trying to devour us and life is collapsing around us, we take our eyes off of God and we're just trying to get everything done that we can and trying to survive. And yet here is David and he's staying focused on God. How, how is it that he's staying focused on God in the midst of so much danger? Well, I want you to look at something. He says that he's crying out to God, yes. But I think David is giving authority to God because God means more to him. Now, I don't want to oversimplify, but listen to this, please, please, please. We find David in this passage giving authority to God because God is what meant the most to him. That's what we see. And we can tell David is learning a lot. Because here's David, instead of trying to, I feel as though David all of a sudden came to a place where instead of trying to avoid suffering, he recognized that what he needed to do was to learn and to grow from the suffering. Because hardship and suffering, inevitable. Jesus promises it. (laughs) 
And some of us work so much at avoiding hardship. And I feel like David is coming to a place where he's learning, you know what, I can't avoid suffering. I'm I'm not going to spend all my energy trying to avoid it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to seek to grow through it. Why? Because, right, we've always heard God is more interested in you being holy rather than happy. And people go, well, wait a second, I'd like to have both. Guys, let let me explain it like this. Holiness is eternal. Happiness is not in terms of recognizing the happiness that we have in the world today. And so here's David, and as I read through these 11 verses over and over again, I see a guy who starts to recognize he needs to grow through the hardship, and he is. Because God's goal for us as believers being on this side of the cross is for us to reflect who Jesus Christ is. Another thing I think that we see here in this passage from David running from Saul, from the king, and going through so much hardship and so much suffering is I think that instead of following his feelings, I think David started to follow his faith. And they don't always match up, do they? They don't always match up, but here's David and something, huge lesson for us. Are you following your faith or are you following your feelings in the midst of hardship? Because I don't know about you, sometimes my feelings are, are, are sporadic. <laughs> and sometimes I, I wake up and I'm like, oh man, I just can't wait to open up the Word of God. And I did that a couple of days ago, Friday. I, wanted, I was eager to go to bed early on Thursday so I could wake up early with a cup of coffee in the Bible and just sit in it. I was excited to do it. And thankfully, that's a lot of days, but some days I, it doesn't work. And so we need to learn from David in knowing that all of a sudden he was following his faith, not his feelings. He chose to believe in God's promises. In the midst of your cave, you need to choose to believe in the promises of God. That he's in control, that he loves you, that he'll never leave you, that he'll never forsake you. Why? Because our feelings are unreliable factors on which we often base many of our decisions. And then we wonder why we get in so much trouble. Because they're not consistent. They're always changing. Listen to this in verse 5 and 6. 5, he says, Be exalted, O God. I read that above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. But then in verse 6, to let you know what he's learning and how much he's going through, he says, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. But they have fallen into it themselves. Guys, David was outnumbered by Saul and his men. And his enemies had come to prepare a net to capture him. This is Charles Spurgeon. This is what he says about it. He says, for each sort of fish or bird or beast, a fitting net is needed. So do the ungodly suit their net to the victim's circumstance and character with the careful craftiness of malice. And here's David knowing that his enemy is setting a net to catch him. And the enemy is out to do the same for you, by the way. He's going to try to find out whatever your weakness is, whatever your vulnerability is, and he wants to catch you there. 
And he's going to build a net that can do that very thing. And, and David is calling this very thing out. In fact, he even talks about them digging a pit. Right? We know that the nets were used to trap the birds, etc. But the pits were dug along the pass in order to catch larger animals. And David is calling. He's like, how, how, how much more do I have to go through? How much more is there? He's threatened on every side. You know he's got to be tired. It says that he was bowed down. Which means he's calling out to God and he might be tired and weary. But he keeps going. He just keeps going. Another thing that stands out to me. When I'm reading this passage in Psalm 57. Here's a guy and he's speaking about how the enemies are out to get him. And they're trying to cast nets and they're digging pits. And they're doing all of these different things in order to get David. But one, one of the things I don't sense with David here is revenge. Something, a powerful point for us, I think, to learn from and to grow from. I don't sense this attitude of, but they better watch out. I'm gonna, they're going to get their own. You watch this. Yeah, he calls out. He says, yeah, but they're going to fall into the pit themselves. But I don't sense this attitude of revenge. And that's, that's saying something to me because Frederick Nitschke says that revenge is the greatest instinct of the human race. I think it's, we just, we want revenge. Someone messes with us, we're messing back. Right? I'm pretty even kill, but here's the thing. You mess with my wife, you're poking the bear is what we say. All right, we, we want revenge. And I don't, I don't sense that from David, which tells me he's living in who God desires of him. And he's not, he's living in his faith rather than in his feelings. What a powerful example. What a powerful example for us to learn from and to grow from. I think, David, you can't be full of revenge and full of God at the same time. If you're living and you just want to make sure someone else gets what they have coming to them, it's really hard to say you're living in the presence of God. Verse 7 and 8, he says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. I will make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. He talks about what God has done to his heart. Two different times he mentions his heart in verse 7. My heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. He calls it out. He calls it out. And it's letting us know what God's done in his life for him to be responding in such a way in the midst of difficulty. How do you respond to difficulty? How are you living in hardship? He then says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. 
I believe that David went into the, the cave possibly discouraged, but he came out victorious because of his perspective and his view of God. I believe he was sitting in the cave with a tremendous amount of hope. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to be able to have hope in the midst of the chaos. Where we really don't know what we're going to do next week or the next week or the next week. That part of hope is expectation. Expecting God to move. Expecting God to work. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and the strength His faithfulness provides. David began to call out. David knew God. In verse 2 we see David knew God. In verse 3 we see that God, he, he calls him out as the God of heaven. In verse 5, it tells us that he calls him out as the God of earth. He recognized the magnitude of who God was. And David's knowledge of God was reflected. David's view of God was reflected in his view of life. In his view of difficulty. In his view of hardship. God promises us hardship. God promises us difficulty. He says it's going to come. It's a sinful, fallen world. It goes all the way back to the fall of humanity, to the fall of man. And he lets us know that. But here's David. And instead of living through the difficulty, calling out and blaming God, he determines that he's going to learn in the midst of the hardship. He's going to learn to grow in the midst of the difficulty. And sometimes we just need to be encouraged to do that. When you look at the language of David as he's sitting in a cave, one of the greatest things that we learn about David is that David was preoccupied with God, not himself. And that's hard today. Because his words aren't, hey, the lions are out to get me, and then petition, 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 petition. It was the lions are out to get me. Here's who my God is. It wasn't the lions are coming to get me. Save me, rescue me over and over. I am weak, I am frail, and over and over. I know God must deliver me over and over. No, let me remind you. Lions, let me tell you right now. My God will crush you. And I have to think about the people who would have been surrounding David. Because as he's calling it out, he, he's here and he says, he says the following. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. Verse 9 through 11, right? Listen to this. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Steadfast love is great, above, is great 
to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David was preoccupied with God, and I believe that he chose to call out God no matter what. And I'm certain that anybody around him would have probably been like, David, can you please just stop for a moment? You ever have those people in your life and they're just constantly singing and they're always happy no matter what? How irritating is that? Sadly, some of you may agree with me. I don't think it's irritating at all, but some of you are going, yeah, I got, like, they just need to be sad with me. They need to be bummed out with me all the time. And we actually expect that of some people. And David, in the midst of difficulty, he's declaring who God is to him. David was preoccupied with God. He's letting us know what mattered the most to him. When hardship came, instead of turning inward to self, David learned to, toward out, he, to turn outward toward God. I think the men who would have been with David would hear him probably wake up every morning and just start singing his praises to God. And because he was willing to give God praise in the middle of the cave, I believe that he also gave tremendous honor to God and glory to God. How do we get out of a cave? Here's one of the things I've learned in life. Is we actually don't like it when uh, sometimes people will, will come to us when we're going through difficulty and they say, man, you, just, you really need to just learn to trust in God on this one. See what he's wanting you to learn. See what he's, how he's wanting you to grow. We, we actually don't like that very much. But that's what David is doing. Instead of cursing God or bemoaning God or anything of the like, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a cave, he calls on the greatness of who God is. He acknowledges it. And he doesn't say, as long as God is doing what I desire, as long as God is doing what I want, he simply acknowledges who God is. How do we get out of a cave? One of the things that we must do is that we need to start claiming God for who God is regardless of the temporary. We need to start basing our life on our faith rather than our feelings. We need to begin thanking God today for what He can do tomorrow in a broken relationship. Because I believe that's what David was doing And I think David learning to give God praise and worship in the midst of the hardship was an example to others. I believe it empowered those people around him. And some of us are living in a cave and we're living in hardship and we need to hear these words. 
We need to call out verse 7 where it says, God, my heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. I will make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. What he's saying is, listen, you can, you can get down and, and you can be lonely at times and you can live in the hardship and the difficulty. That's okay. But at some point, if you believe in God, you will rise up above that and you will declare his goodness. You will declare his goodness. And that's something we can grow from. We can learn from. And so what I want us to be able to do is, if you would each just think about the cave. What's your cave right now? What, what is that cave? Is it, is it a relationship? Is it debt? Whatever it is. Is it physical ailment? Is it past? You're still letting something from decades ago determine who you'll be tomorrow? You just can't release it. And, and because it's honestly, it's easier to blame that than now have to live in the goodness of God. What's your cave? For some of you, it's depression and anxiety. What's your cave? I've been through a couple of different seasons being a pastor where... Um, I found, I found myself to be in a cave. My cave wasn't David's cave. But I found myself in just a, a lot, having a lot of anxiety, a lot of different stress, some depression, where, man, it didn't matter how well I ate. Um, maybe you've been here before. It doesn't matter how, how healthy you eat. It doesn't matter how much you exercise. Every, it doesn't matter if you sleep your eight hours or not. You do not want to wake up the next day. And in the midst of sitting in those caves at times, one of the things that I had to do was I had to choose to learn from it rather than only complain about it. And I had to make a decision on whether or not I trusted in the promises of God. And I had to make a decision on whether or not I would truly trust in Him. And some of you are going, Joel, you don't know what my cave is. You've never been there before. And I would tell you it doesn't matter because God knows what it's like. Some of you may be thinking you've never lost a spouse. Maybe a child. You've never gone through cancer. You, Joel, you don't understand. I'm saying that Jesus Christ does. And he wants you to walk out of the cave 
triumphantly proclaiming the goodness of who he is. God, I come before you, and I just sense that, God, we just need to sit with you. We need to sit with you, God. Because we're talking about what it is to be be in a cave, while at the same time, David's response to being in a cave was often to declare your majesty. And some of the, God, we don't know how to reconcile those differing <laughs> lifestyles. We, we don't know how to reconcile sitting in a cave and feeling like the lions are roaring around us and wanting to devour us, and then on the other side of that, in the same breath, to be declaring your goodness, recognizing your mercy, calling out your greatness. But I know that you would rather us declare your greatness than to live in a cave. And so God, today, we will choose to worship regardless of the cave. We will choose to praise you regardless of the difficulty. Regardless of the king wanting to come and to attack, to get rid of us, and regardless of having to hide out in a desert, even though we, years ago, if, if I were David, I already had someone say I would be king one day, and I'd be questioning that prophecy. And so God, as soon as I begin to think that life isn't fair at times, may I also recognize it certainly was not fair to you. And you did something about it. And you gave your life, you offered your life for anybody who calls on your name. Lord, I am amazed by you. I am overwhelmed by you. And I give you thanks. I give you thanks for allowing us to declare your goodness, even in the cave. And so as a church, God, may we choose to declare your goodness, even in the cave. In Christ's name, amen. Will you choose to worship? Even in the cave. Even in the cave. Will you choose to worship in the midst of the storm? You've heard this song one other time, and I want you just to listen at the beginning of this. Just soak in the words. Soak in the promises as we worship Him.